The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I am Anthony Gazette, joining you as usual alongside my partner in crime, John Sheeran. We both got the, we got the black hat memo this week, John. How you doing, buddy? Does that mean we're bad guys? Is that I like don't know. <laughs> Villainous. Villainous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm doing well, man. My old pops turned 60 back on Monday. I think, yeah, I think it was Monday, so we had a little mini celebration for that. We had some leftover uh, Brian guys from the party as well. So nice, happy happy birthday, happy belated birthday, Mister Sharon. Uh, what what what's the uh, the poison you're sipping on this week? Yeah, it's the classic truth. Things been around since I think before I was born. Really, okay. the Ryan guys time timeline. I don't actually know when it was first made, but um, yeah, the, the 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 guy got a lot of alcohol this birthday, so he'll be. He'll be dr- good and drunk until he's sixty-one. So <laughs> he's celebrating for a while. Yeah, but July is is the birthday onslaught for at least this household. So now we got until December until my sister celebrates. Okay, her we got a little break. Okay, okay, good. Well, yeah, you just had yours uh, right right after the July Fourth holiday, right? It mm-hmm. was uh, yeah, you had it right then, and then yeah, your dad and. Yeah, well, good. It's uh, it's been a party time in the Sheeran household, I guess. So uh, good to have you with us as usual. We're going to be covering a quite a bit this week because stuff is getting very interesting and moving in the direction of a season starting, sort of. Uh, there are some news and notes that we have to talk about in terms of, uh, you know, rosters and uh, other, you know, other bits of news in this crisis time that makes things a little creative for the NFL. So we'll talk about that, but we're going to talk about some good news first with one of the Bengals star players and how we can, uh, I don't know if you want to say, give the, uh, the one finger salute to some of the pundits out there based on some news there, but we'll talk about that. We've got a soundbite of the week associated with that. And then we are going to continue our 2020 potential breakout players list. We started last week with uh, two players each. It was um, it was Hakeem Adeniji and gosh, we just said this right before the jump. I had Hakeem Adeniji Mitchell and, Wilcox. I, and Mitchell Wilcox. That's right. You had Hakeem Davis Gaither and Jesse Bates. So those are the four we started with. We're going to keep doing uh, two, two a piece per week so far. So we'll get to that in just a couple minutes as well. Thanks for joining us, whether it's through our Facebook, Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, you're joining us live there, or our YouTube channel. We appreciate you tuning in. We will be, in case you're kind of new to these parts, we have been doing something a little bit new for our program. We've been doing the Monday news and notes, uh, kind of just giving you all these headlines, not only for the Cincinnati Bengals, but for the division and the NFL. So check that out. It's usually around midday Eastern that we do that. On Monday, we have our weekly show, which is a little longer that we do in the middle of the week tonight. And then we'll be doing quite frequently, probably not every week, but we will be doing it this week. The listener questions live in the afternoon of the uh, of Friday afternoon. So join us for that and submit your questions how you can. You can get them to us via email, theobinsider at gmail.com. You can call or text, not tonight, 
but call or text Friday on our line. And you can always leave them on cincyjungle.com and get those to us. And as always, you can listen to this program on any of your favorite platforms, audio or YouTube channel. As I mentioned, there is a subscribe button right under John there. So uh, click on that and subscribe to our YouTube channel and all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. All right, enough self-promotion, John. Let's, uh, let's get to some news and notes. The biggest, the biggest thing uh, really is the AJ Green signing of his franchise tender. When I when I took the air a couple of um, couple of days ago to talk about some news and notes, this was kind of fresh off the press. But AJ Green has signed the franchise tender, and we we heard, especially from one particular guy in the national football coverage, he seemed to think that AJ Green either wouldn't sign his franchise tender, or the Bengals would pull it to save salary cap money. Neither one of those happens. But I want to get your quick reaction of A.J. Green signing his franchise tender and then making subsequent comments, John, that, hey, I want to, I, I, this isn't the last season I want to play in Cincinnati. I want to retire a Bengal. I've got a couple. I, I, he feels he's got three or four good years left in him, and he wants to play it out in Cincinnati. Yeah, I don't know what – what person that people keep alluding to? I I don't follow whatever account that people are. No. Yeah. No. I, I don't know who this person is, but I'm I'm okay. wonder why he's still getting the clap that he does. But uh, like AJ Green is the is the anti anti antithesis. Excuse me. Couldn't even say the word of a diva, and that's something that we all knew and have known for the better part of a decade, and it's slowly been more knowledgeable in terms of just the general media finding this out, but it was a situation in a scenario where a handful of other prominent players at the receiver position or any other position for that matter would have made it a lot worse. But the events that unfolded have been telegraphed and were predictable from the situ- when the situation I think first arose in terms of how it's going to play out in like late December when he said, you know, I'm, I will be willing to play under the tag. I will sign the tag. I won't be going to OTAs or training camp until that whole situation is figured out and everything. And there weren't any OTAs and, and any type of offseason programs anyways for him to skip. And wouldn't you know, the deadline comes. The Bengals don't sign to a deal. But he signs his tag and he's ready to report. And he's saying the exact same things that he's said for months now. And the same message for the better part of his career. I always seen my I've always seen myself as a guy who plays with one team his entire career. That one team is the Bengals. It, it hasn't changed. It, it hasn't changed with the fact that they went two and fourteen last year. It hasn't changed with the fact that they've never won a playoff game with him. This is loyalty that, while it may not be completely and entirely deserved its loyalty that has been over and over and over presented by AJ himself. And to expect anything else was just pure conjecture and speculation. And it just wasn't worth entertaining with our thoughts because what happened was exactly what we thought would happen. Right. And I know John may be speaking a little tongue in cheek in terms of not claiming to not know the account in which we are referencing that has made some of these comments on Twitter, but it is pro football talk and Mike Florio over there out of the blue, really kind of just saying, you know, for the first tweet was, you know, are, are the Bengals going to pull this deal from the table and not have them sign it that way they save money and on salary cap. And then, you know, the other is, is AJ green going to even sign it, that sort of thing. And it's just like, obviously there was no drama with it. Like you said, he's the anti-diva. You bring up a good point, John, and it bridges into something that I brought up on Monday talking about the AJ Green franchise tag deal, but I didn't really spin it in a way that you just mentioned. You talked about AJ Green speaking on the fact that he wants to remain with one team his entire career, and he's been a man of his word essentially on that front. I, I noted on Monday, and I didn't, like I said, I didn't talk about this portion, but AJ Green early in his career was really doing a lot of offseason workouts and mentoring with guys like Calvin Johnson, with guys like Larry Fitzgerald, who stayed with their teams for a long period of time, Detroit Lions and Arizona Cardinals, respectively. 
Neither of those teams had a lot of postseason success. The Cardinals with Fitzgerald obviously had more than Detroit did. But, you know, since you bring that up, I almost wonder if A.J. Green working with those guys, obviously idolizing those guys, I wonder if that kind of plays into, you know, that's just how I want my career to be. I want to stick with a team, even if it's not the most successful franchise in terms of postseason success and all of that. I want to stick with one team. I want to be loyal. And then obviously he is a family man as well. He probably doesn't want to bounce his family around too much either. So that's something that just kind of came to mind now that you brought that up. There's no one way of it, of desiring how your career is will pan out or how you want it to pan out. You know, I think, we we default players to want to either have the most money possible or the best chance at team success and building a Hall of Fame resume as possible. With with Green, like again, I don't think his priorities have have ever changed since he even entered the league. I think he's the most practical, pragmatic, straightforward thinker of a superstar that that we that the NFL has in, in itself. Like there's no hidden meanings or alternative um, perceptions of the things that he says, the statements, the rare statements that he makes, what you see is literally what you get with it. And it's fun to speculate and, and try to guess, you know, what he, what his real motive is and what he's trying to get out of the remaining four or five years of his career. But it's literally what he wants, and it's to retire as a Bengal four or five years down the road. He even gave us a specific time date, like when he's 36 years old or whatever. They sign him to like a three-year deal after this, after the season when they can start negotiating for a contract again. But like this, again, has been all in the cards, and anything that's said otherwise just wasn't worth listening to. So the, I want to I want to show this one on the screen here. Interesting comment from our YouTube channel. I think he's gone. We usually don't re-sign guys after we tag them from Sam Turner, he being A.J. Green. Interesting point by Sam. And, I mean, he's right. You can go back to Michael Johnson. Um, that was a guy that they franchise tagged. The Bengals don't use the franchise tag all that often anyway. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when they do, uh, these guys end up not – you know, usually sticking around long-term. That is an interesting thing, but I, I want to see what you think about that. But I also feel still, I think we both agree that this was the right move for the team uh, based on what his, and I I know loyalty is a virtue and AJ Green has proven his worth throughout most of his career, but the injuries just have been piling up. The missed time has been piling up. So I think this was the right move. You still pay a star guy a lot of money for at least one year and maybe you kind of do the Tyler Eifert system with it. But uh, I mean, I don't know. Do you, even if he's productive, do you, do you see a long-term future with green uh, if he's productive in 20? Yeah. Like the guys that have left after they tagged, what, what is that? Justin Smith, Stacey Andrews, right. Shane Graham, Michael Johnson. I don't yeah. quite, I mean, the whole legacy of Justin Smith in Cincinnati is just un- underwhelming compared to the player that he actually was. And, right and how his career unfolded with San Francisco. I mean, Stacey Andrews, you're not really losing any sleep over, over losing him. Um, I mean, Shane Graham, it was probably time to go anyways. And Michael Johnson, that, that was the smart utilization of what the franchise tag was for. He broke out in 2013. They gave him another year to really prove it. He had another decent season, but left for a lot of money that the Bengals weren't willing to give him. All the situations are different. They're all individual to their own scenarios with, with green I think he has a fantastic chance of not only coming back to Cincinnati, but also outplaying the expectations of what a guy usually has when he plays on the franchise tag. Um, the the site Statcaster actually reached out to me in terms of researching da- uh, data on receivers that played under the tag. And there were a few guys in the past decade. Alshon Jeffrey played under the tag in 2016 with the Chicago Bears before joining Philadelphia Eagles, Dwayne Bowe played under the tag with the Kansas City Chiefs. Wes Welker played under the tag, I think, with the New England Patriots in his last year. Vincent Jackson played under the tag with the San Diego Chargers at the time. Alston Jeffrey obviously moved on to another team. Wes Welker joined the, the Broncos the following season. Vincent Jackson joined the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Dwayne Bowe actually rejoined the Kansas City Chiefs the, the year after he was um, played under the tag. So there is president for, star, for receivers who receive top-of-the-market type deals to rejoin their team. And I think 
with Green, that's uh, uh, just, again, it's something that we should expect because it's something that he wants. And as long as he proves to stay healthy the first time in two years, looks like a similar version of Green that we're accustomed to seeing. Like, there's obviously clear communication on both sides that this deal is a deal that they want to get done. They're going to have no space to do it unless he's asking for money that exceeds that of what Michael Thomas got paid for last year and re- I guess resets the market for wide receivers and, and gives them an ultimatum in terms of guaranteed money that they're just not willing to make. I, I just, even though the history is against it, I just don't see Green leaving Cincinnati unless something kind of bad happens this season. Right. And if the if the injuries continue, yeah, I agree with you on that. But uh, interesting point brought up by Sam Turner in our YouTube channel. We're going to get to our soundbite of the week uh, just to tee that, not only tee that up, but also um, I, I want to also preface something else because we're talking about A.J. Green signing his franchise ten, ten, uh, tender. And the Bengals have signed a number of their rookies. They've put pen to paper as well. Uh, I believe four of them have signed at this point. I believe it's Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, and Khalid uh, Kareem. Yeah, that has not. So those three have not. But they're reporting to Bengals HQ this week. So I, I you know, we assume that's going to get done very soon in the next handful of days. So that those four rookies, Logan Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis, Gaither. Hakeem Adeniji and Marcus Bailey have all put pen to paper to uh, once they showed up to Cincinnati this week. So we assume that that's going to be coming there. In addition to tee up the soundbite of the week, I want to say something about this. Originally we were going to play something that was straight from AJ Green as the soundbite of the week. Uh, Instead, we're going to, we're going to, play something from somebody who has been kind of critical in the media of the Bengals in the past, but really gushed about the Joe Burrow, AJ Green connection in light of Green signing his franchise uh, tender. But prior to that, Green, after he signed his franchise tag tender, he talked about Burrow, called him a quote unquote dog, uh, which is interesting being being, uh, a Georgia guy and Burrow being an LSU guy, but he called him a dog and just kind of said, you know, I I love his fire. I love his grit. I love the way he plays. So that is kind of a little bit of a backdrop to the clip we're going to share here. And the clip we're going to share here is from Adam, I believe it's pronounced Shine of CBS Sports Network. Uh, It's it's a a video him talking about it's about two minutes or so. So bear with us on that. But uh, a, a an interesting take from a guy who, in the Andy Dalton era, Shine was very critical of Andy Dalton in the Bengals, and he'll even reference this in the tweet, John, uh, the tweet video rather that he he wanted the Bengals. He thought the Bengals should have traded AJ last year uh, and got what they could for him, and now with Burrow in the fold and AJ Green even on a uh, franchise tag deal, he is all in. So I'm gonna share this and tee it up for you. And we will uh, we'll go from there again. You can see here it's about two two minutes fourteen seconds. Start with the Cincinnati Bengals. I am obsessed with the Joe Burrow AJ Green combination this year, and they are absolutely positively going to sizzle. I think AJ Green being back in Cincinnati and being happy to be back in Cincinnati. It is one of the most underrated, if not the most underrated storyline in the entire league. I was dead wrong on A.J. Green. I thought the Bengals and Mike Brown should have traded him last year when you had big-time suitors like the Patriots, the Saints, the Niners, and the Seahawks. A.J. Green, I thought he was done. I thought last year when he didn't play it down, he had the Bengal flu. Turns out I was wrong, and I'm thrilled for Cincy to be wrong. A.J. Green is a Hall of Famer. And uh, he sounded, talking to the media after he signed his franchise tag over the weekend, energized to be playing with my guy, Joe Burrow. And I give A.J. Green credit. Even if he was feeling like he needed to get out of there in Cincinnati last year. Remember what happened in the preseason where they were playing on a makeshift field and he got injured and he was really upset that they had to practice at a college campus? I thought he wanted out of there in the worst possible way. A.J. Green is true class. I think he's a Hall of Famer. He's never talked about as a Hall of Famer because he's not braggadocious. He's not one of these 
look at kneecaps at the wide receiver position. I love that he wants to stay with one team, and he said as much on the Zoom call. He stayed with the Cincinnati Bengals for his entire career. Burrow is terrific, coming off of the single best season, single season by a quarterback in the history of college football. When you look at the domination, the teams he played against, the precision. I love the talent on the Bengals, youth at receiver. Joe Mixon is a stud running back. I still think Zach Taylor can coach. They improved the defensive line, the defensive backfield. Don't sleep on Cincy this year. Seriously, they're going to win games on CBS when you don't expect it. I think this combination is amazing. Green is a leader, going to help Joe Burrow. I'm all in on this combination being elite right from the jump. Stop. So uh, a lot of it is uh, kind of repeating a, a tad bit of what we were saying, you know, uh, talking about Green's comments, John, uh, sticking with the team and all of that. But this was a guy, like I mentioned, this is a guy, he said, he, he even mentioned the quote unquote bangle flu, right? Uh, this is a guy who's been critical of the team and I guess for, for good reason in a lot of ways, but uh, very interesting comments from Shine, a guy who hasn't been the most abashed Bengals supporter in the, in recent years. Like what I took from that was based on my own judgment about nothing that's been reported or factual about the situation. AJ Green, I thought he was done in Cincinnati based off of nothing that right. I read or heard from people who report and cover the team based off my own perception about how these things usually work. I thought for sure AJ Green was going to be out. Like, 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 what, like, what, like, what are we doing here? You know? Right. Like, Take, taking taking an idea and running with it. It's the Florio, the Mike Florio uh, disease, right? I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> That's right. I forgot. I keep forgetting you don't you don't know who he is. But I, you know, it's good to be excited for a lot of different reasons for this Bengals team. It may be, and we'll get to this in just a second. It may be a slow start for the team, but a good finish to it for a variety of reasons. But uh, I think that. It's it, it this connection and AJ Green being a veteran receiver, a star wide receiver. You would like to think that the learning curve is very uh, isn't going to be very steep, and Green can play mentor to T Higgins going forward as well. Give T Higgins it, that's that's the other thing that's beautiful about this franchise tag situation is even if Green doesn't play well, even if he does play well, and the Bengals don't get sign him to a longer term contract afterward. They have this buffer year for T. Higgins to kind of get up to speed if he needs that. Uh, he can still contribute. He will contribute as long as he's healthy and everything. Um, but it's not like, hey, rookie, we, we got to lean on you right away like they did with A.J. Green, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's He's got a little bit of a buffer. So uh, that is our soundbite of the week, courtesy of CBS Sports's Adam Shine. And uh, very interesting stuff. Hopefully you enjoyed that. We're going to talk, and I'm going to let John take the lead on the next segment here, talking about uh, preseason schedule news and uh, roster updates. We gave you some some of those, I believe, last week, but we've got more coming for you. But before we do, just want to remind you how you can get this show. It is on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio. It is on the Megaphone platform as well as YouTube, and all of our stuff is on Cincy Jungle. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. So yeah, uh, this past week, um, is when rookies were 
starting to flow into camp or flow into the team facilities for the first time in their young careers. And the NFL and the NFLPA have been, I guess, working against the clock on negotiating and coming to terms with, you know, a, a compromise of how we of how they can start you know, training camp and I guess the season as a whole. And a part of that was the NFL agreeing to fully cancel the preseason, allowing for players and teams to have an appropriate amount of time in terms of getting acclimated into strength and conditioning before they can put on pads to practice. And in reality, there was just no real room for preseason to actually happen when th- those were the guidelines that were recommended by the joint co- medical committee that the NFLPA and the NFL set up. So all that has been basically taken care of. But unfortunately, a repercussion of that is not only are lower level roster guys now not gonna, going to be able to play in the preseason, but also the fact that there's just not going to be a, as many lower level roster guys as well because the NFL has NFLPA has also announced that you know there's going to be a a restriction on the total roster sizes from traditionally the 90 mark down to the 80 mark, which honestly kind of works a little bit in the Bengals' favor because I think if you look around the league, the Bengals had the one of the smaller rosters right now at only 84 players. So in order to get to that unofficial cut down, they would only need to cut down four players, but that's still four less players than the Bengals expected to have. But it kind of makes me think, I guess, about how this – I guess late part of the offseason has unfolded because we kind of we kind of predicted the Bengals would trade back in the draft to acquire one or two more draft picks. And they didn't end up signing that many undrafted for each. I think the final amount was 10. And then left them six open spots on the roster until they got to 90 because nobody really knew that this was going to happen until it did. There was speculation that was going to happen, but it wasn't a sure thing. So I'm honestly wondering if they had any sort of inkling or inclination that this was going to happen and this was some type of inevitability. But this does, I guess, alter a lot about how we normally see week one rosters get constructed. And it could very well affect guys like Mitchell Wilcox, who you talked about last week. It affects their chances of proving their worth and actually making this roster and and even making the practice squad for that matter. So the... Every once in a while, the Cincinnati Bengals pull a maneuver or show some tact and strategy and foresight that a lot of other teams don't. And like you said, when you brought up the fact that Cincinnati may have had an inkling that this was coming and we are, we're sitting here going, why aren't they signing? They've got room. Why aren't they signing some of these guys like a Larry Warford or all these? It may be not only because they like the roster and some of the position groups more than us on the outside, but it may be because they knew that they're going to, they would have to make more cuts. Uh, and, and really they don't, they aren't really wanting to do that. And they knew that this limit roster limitation, whether they knew it was going to be 80 or not, they knew that this was probably going to be a reality. The Bengals for a team that has a small scouting department and other deficiencies in areas when it comes to, you know, roster and, contracts and and financials and and all of that they do have a a bit of a high acumen on that so I, I I think maybe John to your point I think yeah they maybe had an inkling whether they knew the specific number of 80 uh I, I don't know and you mentioned also it, it could be four four players they end up releasing it could be more than that because at final cut down day they could you know see some guys on the waiver wire we've talked about that before so that's that's something that uh, I, I thought about when when you just brought that up. I want to share this to you too, John, and this is where I was going in the last segment in terms of where the lack of preseason games could hurt a team specifically like Cincinnati. You see Robert Obrecht, good, good friend of the show, joining us on Facebook. His comment on the live Facebook chat here, you can see that on the video. This will hurt the rookie's learning curve, in my opinion, I think. He not only meant that specifically for the Bengals, but across the NFL in general. This is an interesting facet to the zero preseason games, especially for a team like the Bengals that is that has a young roster and a lot of new faces in the free agency period. If, if there is indeed zero preseason games, uh, that could springboard the team into a potential slow start with a rookie quarterback, a rookie wide receiver they may lean on a bit early in the season. 
new defensive tag, you know, the whole running the gamut of new faces on this roster. And I wonder how much the preseason or the lack of, I guess, has an effect on that. I've, I've always been of the opinion that the preseason is, is most important for guys who are trying to make the roster. I yeah. feel like for, for established veterans, regardless if they've been around the team, around this team's long enough, will be able to turn it on when the games actually matter and whatnot. Because we have seen, you know, star players or prominent players not essentially play like one drive in the preseason or just not play in the preseason at all. And then come around in the regular season, they're perfectly fine. I, I think there's obviously chemistry issues that, that go along with it. They don't have actual live in-game reps. But in terms of individuals getting ready to, to do whatever they need to do, I always think that the preseason is not really important for that. But I, I think there's a way to supplement the lost in-game experience for the younger guys, the guys who need to prove themselves. I mean, it, it, there's nothing really stopping teams from doing more 11 on 11 or just just 11 on 11 work and having more value into that into their practices unfortunately they can't really do that until i believe late august or i think a week or so before week one because of the acclimation period that they're required to have after they go through all the testing and and they go through the the necessary amounts of strength and conditioning so uh, the fact that there is a, a large influx of free agents is concerning in that matter but I think this just eliminates like the guys like Damian Willis from last year who used the who leveraged the preseason into making a, a final roster spot. But also the fact that there is no preseason, it, it does create a, a more likelihood that we aren't going to going to have very many serious injuries come out of August that will impact how the roster looks. So we are going to get a more healthier roster. We're, we're going to get a more healthier NFL in general because there just won't be any any preseason games, and there's just a limited amount of actual injuries that happened in training camp unfortunately happened last year at the Bengals but there there are po- there are just as many positives as there are potential negatives with this unfortunately the most glaring negative is that guys who are undrafted or guys who are drafted late they're just not going to have as many chances of climbing the depth chart and eventually making the roster as they did in previous years very interesting point I remember back when the Bengals were on Hard Knocks, what was that, 2012, 2013, when Marvin Lewis was talking, I believe it was to DeQuinn Evans, talking about, hey, you know, DeQuinn Evans had hit a quarterback in practice. Marvin got really heated with him, and he said, you're not going to make this team in practice. You're going to make it in the preseason games. And obviously, DeQuinn Evans was an undrafted guy, a guy that was, you know, kind of a fringe roster guy. So, you know, obviously, new regime, and that was seven-plus years ago now, but I, I think the point remains there. And also something else you talked about with undrafted guys, late round guys, the thing that comes to mind with uh, for me in this scenario is, you know, maybe a guy like a Rodney Anderson or Marcus Bailey who had significant injuries and they are recovering. They had been recovering this off season. They haven't had time. They maybe, you know, recovery process has been affected from the COVID crisis. I think we both believe that both of those guys will be on the final roster, but those guys kind of come to mind a little bit when you're talking about a limited amount of spaces, late round picks and guys who had had some significant injuries just the year prior. So, um, you know, I I think with a lessening of 10 roster spots, that's, that's going to create a different looking roster and make decisions a bit harder. And I, and I will stand on this hill as well. Like, you you don't become more injury prone by playing less football. Like the fa- I don't I don't believe I don't buy the fact I that like I, I don't buy the fact that we're gonna see a lot of injuries in the early season because there is no preseason. I, I like these guys are, are grown men. They're conditioned out of their out of their minds. They've been they've been doing as much work as possible throughout the off season, even though there hasn't been um, fully team activities, but. The, 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 that there isn't going to be a preseason and there is going to be a, a period of acclimation getting into actual football shape. I don't think that's going to see an, an increase of injuries like I think a lot of people fear. Yeah, and John Landell here, before we move on to our potential breakout players, is there going to be scrimmage games before the season starts? Uh, by the way, he said he's a longtime fan and uh, is coming to us from Indianapolis. I, I hadn't seen his name before, so if, uh, he might be new to the program. So hello, John. Uh, you know, I, I, I would assume there's going to be versions of that within an intra-squad scrimmage. I don't 
I don't know that there's going to be team on, you know, sometimes in training camp, there is a team on team kind of mm -hmm. scrimmage. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think you'll have kind of the mock game that Marvin used to do and, and things of that nature. That's what I think. I don't know what you think about that. No, that's, that's probably what they're going to do. And I think they have limitations in terms of how much they can do because they have to comply with the NFL PA and whatnot. It has to all be happen. I think later, later, later in late in August, until they can actually go into full pads, whatnot. Like, you know, you know, we, we assume the training camp is going to start next week, and you know, there's always that three day period of just no pads, whatnot. And then we have the first pad of practice that happens in like early August. No, that's not going to be the case this year. Like, these guys are going to be in, in the weight room doing all this other individual drills, whatnot. And we're not going to actually see actual team practices until usually, I think, when we see like the the third or fourth preseason game. So it's going to be accelerated and fast, but. That is going to, in a way, kind of weed out the guys who are about this and who are and who are at legitimate, legitimate players to make this roster and who are guys that aren't even worth a practice squad spot. Yep. And as it is with a lot of facets in life, the NFL training camp period and and really the regular season, there's still a lot to be determined there. But it's going to be different. It's affected, uh, and uh, you know that's you, you got to kind of accept what's going to come with this. So. Uh, you know, with other sporting leagues starting back up, we assume that the NFL will be uh, its regular season will not be affected, at least as of this point. But stranger things have happened and we know that this pandemic can change on a dime. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens there. But as of now, it looks like no preseason games and it will be basically practices and conditioning only for teams and a lower sized roster roster from uh, down to 80. So about 10 less spots there. So uh, good stuff, John. Thanks for bringing us up to speed on that. We're going to transition in just a second to our 2020 breakout players list. Just a reminder to get this program how you can on your favorite audio platform, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, uh, or you can get it on YouTube by subscribing to our channel. There's a little icon on our video there for those of you watching after the fact, or maybe if you're streaming live, I'll have to see if it's also in the live deal, but click it, subscribe. If you like what we're doing, we appreciate your support, subscribe, and we'll keep bringing you more and more stuff. As I mentioned, we're doing kind of a Monday week ramp up with news and notes, a little mini show about 15 minutes or so. We do our longer episode tonight, midweek, and then we will be also bringing you regular listener questions. Once again, especially with training camp and stuff coming around the corner, we'll be starting that up again this Friday. So we hope you can join us this Friday afternoon. Last week, John, we started our 2020 potential breakout players list. As I teased at the beginning, uh, you had uh, a, a veteran guy who has kind of had some ups and downs in his career and, and an, uh, another player. You've got some more young players on the horizon, I believe, uh, I, I've been kind of just going all over the map. I think, like I mentioned last, last week, I started with Mitchell Wilcox, who was a t an undrafted tight end. And, you know, it's not like he was this highly touted guy that just randomly fell as an undrafted guy. I mean, there was a number of tight ends in a weaker tight end class that were went ahead of him. And, uh, you know, but I, I just see an opportunity for him. So that may have been a little bit of a calling of a long shot. I'm going to be, a little bit different with mine. I'll start in just a second, but just to remind everybody, the definition of breakout player, quote unquote, varies. It can be a guy who has been a role player uh, and and spot starter that is now growing into a starter and will excel as a starter. A starter who has been marginal, who, who maybe makes a Pro Bowl this year, that could be it. Or an undrafted guy, like we've mentioned, that not only makes a roster, but creates a nice little niche role for himself on this team. So really, it kind of depends on your definition of breakout player. I'm going to go a little creative with my first one this week, John, and I'm going to say Xavier Suafilo. Uh, he is penciled in right now, and I definitely want to emphasize pencil, uh, as I believe the team's right guard. He, he, he has played a lot of left guard in the NFL. He's played some right guard. This was the only free agent acquisition, at least a notable one, that the Bengals made on the offensive line in a year that you thought they would have had a lot of different, a lot of different moves that they could have made there, right? I, the reason I say this, I think back to a 
video that Matt Minnick did that is on our channel. You can go back on our catalog and our YouTube channel and go look at it. It is shortly after the Bengals signed Xavier Suofilo. Matt Minnick did a great breakdown of, of some film study that showed how, the, especially the polling plays and certain plays that are going to be part of Zach Taylor's offensive playbook that seem to play to Xavier Suofilo's strength. He is coming off of some of his better pro football focus grades, still not high grades, but better ones. The problem is small sample sizes. He's only played portions of seasons. So I kind of couple this with, you know, maybe some higher PFF scores, especially higher than ones that they've, not by much, but higher than ones that they've had in recent years at some of the interior line positions. I see a potential good fit in terms of scheme and what they want to do. I don't think this guy's going to be a star. I don't think he's going to make a random Pro Bowl or anything like that, but I think he's going to go in there and maybe just kind of be a solidifying presence. You won't hear his name being called for the wrong reasons, penalties, all kinds of different things. Again, I don't expect the world from him, but I expect at least marginal improvement from what we saw last year at that spot. I know there are a lot of guys vying for that position. Billy Price, Michael Jordan, a lot of different guys. Hakeem Adeniji, a guy I mentioned last week who could be a tackle guard. But I just see Xavier Suofilo maybe having a nice, nice year late in his career, just finds a good fit maybe for this year, maybe even into next year. But I, I kind of see it as this is kind of a guy that Zach Taylor knows how to use. More or less that marginal, just solid, not not great, not terrible guard last year was John Miller. Like that that was who, who he was last year. He, he wasn't making any Pro Bowls or anything. He wasn't earning himself a fat paycheck. He only took like a 40 four million dollar deal for right for one year with the Panthers. And that was that was a reason why the Bengals let him go because they could do better. I don't know if they did do better in signing Xavier Sufield. I think the, the the change from Miller to him is marginal at best. And with with Suofilo, I, I keep thinking he's younger than he is, but I think he's turning 30 either next year or this year. So he's actually a couple years older than Miller, but he brings more pop. He brings more athleticism to his game. And I think for the most part, in terms of run blocking, you're going to see very similar type performances from the two players. The, the big question is in pass protection. I think he did he did well in Dallas, I think, compared to how he started his career with Houston. But there is something to be said about joining the offensive line because of injury for, for starters. He filled in for an injured player at left guard and then coming in to that scheme next to a great left tackle in Tyron Smith that obviously I think had something to do with his yeah. You know, calm and accl- acclimation into that union and just being not a liability, but not necessarily an asset, which is, I think, all he can hope for at this point. You know, this, this, this 10 year, or excuse me, this three year, $10 million deal that he signed with Cincinnati, it's probably the biggest contract he's going to get in his career at this point. He's got to make the most of it. Now he's going to a new position that he hasn't played um, ever, I think, in his college career from UCLA to the NFL. Or maybe he's played like one a handful of snaps there when he was with Houston. But at the end of the day, I think the Bengals are taking a chance on that athleticism that that um, Matt profiled in, in his video, the ability to get out in space on some of those zone runs that he was doing in Dallas in their, in their type of a zone scheme, but also just being a more athletic pass protector that isn't um, – that isn't – prone to getting beat on some of those more finesse moves that Miller had some struggles with last year. So if he's just the same type of player as Miller, they didn't really downgrade, but I think they're just banking on him being more of a high upside type of a pass protector with that added athleticism. Now I'm going to stick with the offensive line for my next one, because I saw a good friend of mine on Twitter, Brandon Thorne release his offensive line position tiers. He doesn't really rank guys by position, but he goes in and places them in their own individual tiers and whatnot. And there's like six tiers. And when you did right tackle at the very bottom of the list, Bobby Hart was in the bottom tier all by himself. And there's a reason for that. He's just, he's the absolute. I thought it was Robbie Fart. Robbie Fart, whatever the hell. (laughs) He's the worst right tackle in the NFL. And it's inexcusable how he's still on this team. And he's making like the seventh most money in terms of a cap hit this year. So if there's somebody that needs to break out on the Bengals this this year, it's Fred Johnson. Now, I've profiled Fred in an article that I wrote 
last month about maybe him sticking at left tackle because that's where he played last year. And they can put Jonah Williams at right tackle where he had a lot of success in Alabama. But it's not going to be the case. It was never going to be the case. It was just the dream scenario that I had in my mind. But Fred Johnson's only chance of doing anything this year on the offense line is overtaking Bobby Hart. And that's going to be a little bit harder now that there is no preseason games. But he can he can prove his worth in, tra- in training camp and in practices and just be anything but what Bobby Hart has been. And that's just been a complete liability that's dependent upon the, the, the strength of competition that he goes that he goes up against but athleticism size actual technique with his hands the ability to play with leverage being six seven these are things that bobby hart has never been able to showcase at right guard at florida state at right tackle with the new york giants at right tackle the cincinnati Bengals. he needs to get out of the starting lineup and there's only one guy who can do that and that's fred johnson this year this guy has a lot of potential in his athleticism in his technique he's only going to get better just turned 23 years old. Um, me and the puppets at DH Sports, we interviewed him about a couple weeks ago, and I highly recommend you guys check that out because he's just a really fun, likable guy. But I think he, he's very serious about his craft and he's very serious about improving and very serious about this opportunity that he has. I just think that there's just no excuse in terms of him not being able to beat out Bobby Hart unless they have an agenda to just start Hart regardless because of the amount of money that he's been that he's been given. But Talent-wise, there's just no question that he has the capability of overtaking Bobby Hart at right tackle and just giving Suofilo a guy that he can work with on that right side of the line to turn that side from a liability to somewhat of an asset. That is a guy definitely to watch. The team likes him, and they think they've got a lot to work with there as evidenced by him playing the last couple of games in lieu of Cordy Glenn on the left side. And he did pretty well. He did okay. Uh, I think that there is a significant chance that, and not just because you, me, other fans hope it happens, but I think there is a, a large chance that he can overtake that right tackle spot from Bobby Hart. We've seen this coaching staff be willing, as opposed to previous coaching staffs, be willing to say, you know what? I don't care what you're making. I don't care how many years you've been in the league. You're not playing well. We've got a guy here that we like better and that can, that we feel can play better for us. And that could be the situation with Bobby Hart. They did it with Preston Brown. They did it with Drake Kirkpatrick. This could be something that is a theme with the team. And I like Fred Johnson as a pick. I I think in some senses he may be kind of the, the en vogue pick for this list, but I think it's a very good one and a very sound one. I'm going to move on the other side of the line, and I wavered back and forth on who to who to pick here. Last year, I think when we did this list, John, I picked Rennell Wren, and I still think he is a good, uh, a good guy for this list. But it, for the sake of not kind of repeating myself, and I do think Rennell Wren could be an effective player on this uh, uh, defensive line coming up here this year. But I'm going to go with Andrew Brown. Uh, Andrew Brown was a guy that they moved around a bit last year. And he, they kind of tinkered with him being on the outside. He's a guy that's big enough that can play inside and in, uh, on passing downs and do a, a number of different things for them. He's going to have more competition this year with Khalid Kareem coming in the fold. I mentioned Ren, Josh Tupo's back. They brought in DJ Reader. So th- these are guys that he could be vying for a roster spot with. But I think that the team and Lou Anarumo is starting to get guys that he likes that he can do different things and bring up a lot of different formations and get to the passer in a lot of different ways. The Bengals, I I think it paved the way, uh, Kerry Wynn's injury paved the way for Andrew Brown to get a few more snaps later in the season. He didn't really do much with them, but I could see him kind of being a rotational guy that has kind of a Chris Smith effect. Remember him a couple of years ago? guy would come in and he'd have a handful of sacks for the year that's how Wallace Gilberry started with this team he was a rotational guy who ended up becoming a starter and a valuable guy for a couple of years because as a rotational guy he came in and and got after the quarterback I could see this happening for Andrew Brown because they can move him in a number of different areas last year not really anything that is anything to write home about uh 14 games played and only 14 combined tackles uh, two quarterback hits, though. So, I mean, he's getting there, but he had a really impressive preseason last year as well. 
We're not going to see that this year based on what we talked about earlier, but he's a guy that interests me and I think could be an effective rotational guy. And he was the reason why they went 11 defensive linemen. I mean, besides the fact that they didn't want to keep more than four linebackers because they were such terrible, they were awful there, but like they went 11 deep on that line because of what Andrew Brown showed in the preseason. And he was, he was at his best when he was rushing from the inside and there was just no real opportunity for him to do that in the regular season because they were so thin on the edge and they, yeah. for, they forced him to be an edge rusher and that's just not where he thrives. And I want him to be a full-time interior rusher. I want him to find a home there because once he does, they they can improve their depth so much more at that spot behind Geno Atkins at the three technique spot and give themselves a chance to generate more pressure there even when Atkins is being rotated out of the game. But also that preseason last year, Carl Lawson really really showed out in just seven snaps against the New York Giants in week three of the preseason. It was his first game back after tearing his ACL in the 2018 season. And I thought that it was going to be the the start of a fantastic third year for Lawson. Unfortunately, injuries just kept following him. He missed at weeks three and four of the regular season. And then he missed a, a, f- a few more after that. It, it, it's just a shame that we just can't really see him for a full year aside from his rookie year and just and just dominate the way that I think we all know that he can. Because quietly, you know, everyone's talking about Sam Hubbard last year, but quietly Carl Lawson put together more pressures per pass rushing snaps than Sam Hubbard did. Only he was only behind Carlos Dunlap in terms of Bengals pass rushers that played twenty percent of the team's total snaps and on passing downs. Like even in a down year, I think for most of us when we when we look at Carl Lawson's twenty nineteen, even in that down year he was still a fairly productive pass rusher because he's just, he's the second most talented edge rusher that they have. No matter what Sam Hubbard can do, he's not, he doesn't have that raw strength and power that Lawson has in his upper body and in his hands. It's like, he doesn't have that signature move that Lawson has in that hub move that is just so rare to see a guy who's only 6'1, 6'2, 255, 260 pounds. Like, this is a guy who can generate pressures of the pressures of the pressures if he's just given the opportunity and he stays healthy. I don't know when that's going to be, but I believe that if he does, he is the guy that is going to make a lot of money in free agency next year, whether it's with the Bengals, whether it's someone else, because he plays that premier position on the edge and he's could be, he could be in a position where he's going to peak at the right time. If he stays healthy, this is a guy that we have seen monstrous potential from, but just hasn't really gotten the opportunity to show it over the course of a 16-game season. I think this is the year that he finally does that, and he shows why he's just his most underrated, one of the most underrated talents on this entire team. Carl Lawson had a knock when he came out of college. He had a knock of, and the reason why he was a fourth round pick, he was injured, couldn't stay healthy, had significant injuries. He was a guy that you, you, you knew about the explosion, you knew about the strength, you knew about the pass rush prowess. And when the Bengals got him in the fourth round, everybody was like, that is great value. And I, I think everybody still agrees with that. Unfortunately, that knock has followed him into the NFL, as you mentioned, John. He's been injured. He's missed time. And the potential that you that he flashes has been limited. And the other frustrating part, I mean, pressures are huge, obviously, for an edge rusher. But you've seen him be just a millisecond away from a big sack. The quarterback just gets the ball out. Or he swipes at the ball and just misses a potential sack fumble uh, situation. Um, But the strength is there. You've seen him be able to get around offensive linemen with regularity when he's healthy. And it's just a matter of play 16 games and be a little more consistent. And I think you've got a star defensive end in the making. I am worried about what you mentioned. Maybe he puts that together this year and all of a sudden he's a hot commodity and prices himself out of the Bengals price range. Big year for him. You know, he's a workout warrior. If you follow him on social media, you've seen that. I, 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 Really hope you're right, John, because I think that if he can stay healthy and he can be as effective as he's been in other facets and do it regularly, I think that that's going to be a big key to the Bengals' success this year. Because they have no, like, I know they drafted Khalid Kareem out of Notre Dame in the fifth round, but even he, he's just not 
a dynamic pass rusher. He's just a guy that you can put out there and survive because he's not going to get run over on runs to the edge. You have Carlos Dunlap, who's as great as he is, he's still a bit inconsistent, can have severe ups and downs. Sam Hubbard is what I think you would aspire Khalid Kareem to be and just a solid, good, not great edge rusher. In terms of just dynamic ability to generate pressure off the edge, that Carl Lawson is, is the guy that they have. They just don't have a lot of invested in that position. I think they're putting a lot on him. But if there's ever a year for him to become the guy that he was in Auburn, it's, it's this year. Totally agree. So those are our four for this week. You've got Fred Johnson and Carl Lawson from John Sheeran. And you've got Andrew Brown, and I know it sounds weird, but Xavier Suofilo from me this week. We'll see what happens with these four and uh, if we look like idiots or if we look like geniuses a few months down the road here. We will see. But those are our next echelon of 2020 potential Bengals breakout players. We've got more coming. We'll be doing this for another couple of weeks and get you a handful more. We've been doing two apiece each week. So uh, we'll be continuing to do that as we go forward. Let's uh, drop the mic and get out of here, John. What do you, what do you got for us? So Anthony, you posted a poll on Cincy jungle about, and on Twitter for the Bengals OBI account, which is the greatest Bengals wide receiver trio in history. And I believe the last time I saw those results, it was a runaway victory for the trio that I voted for the 2000, the 2005-2009 trio of Chad Johnson, TJ Husmanzada, and Chris Henry. Were you surprised by those results, to be honest? No, I was not. And my my uh, I, I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, and I, I would actually, had I voted, I probably would have picked that myself uh, as the true winner. However, I also – my thing is I don't think and, – and here's the, the tweet, Twitter results here. Uh, I, I think that the other guys that were from previous eras of the Bengals, I think they, they don't get their due because the team wasn't as successful or, you know, some, some folks weren't really around to see the McGee, Eddie Brown, Chris Collinsworth tandem um, – you know, a lot of people forget how effective Carl Pickens and Darnay Scott were as a duo with just ridiculous quarterback play, uh, both positive from Jeff Blake and Boomer Esiason, but really terrible quarterbacks throughout most of their career. So I'm not surprised by it. That's probably where I would have voted. But uh, I, I do want to I, – I guess I'm kind of like, you got to give some of these guys their due too. I mean, they were pretty damn good in their heyday. I feel like you just wanted to write about it just to give T- Tim McGee's props for coming on the show. I know that was such a good interview. Oh, no, was a great, great uh, interview. Yeah, I yeah, I I really like that. Um, maybe maybe there was a little bit of a favoritism thing going on there, but um, I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually kind of where I was just going to go. So uh, I won't I won't beat the dead horse there for my mic drop segment. But uh, if you if you have some takes on that if you're listening to us and you want to let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your take on the wide wide receiver tandems that you feel are best in Bengals history. There are even ones, John, from you know way yesteryear in the '70s in the Ken Anderson era and uh, pre-Boomer. You know, you've got in that era it was more tight ends who could play wide receiver. You know, uh, Trumpy Ross, that sort of thing. So um, along with Curtis, Charlie Joyner, and Collinsworth towards the end of Curtis's career, there are a lot of different incarnations that were very effective. And as we have said, the Bengals have some shortcomings as an organization, but they know how to draft skill position players for the, for the most part, particularly after the first round and the second round and beyond, they've drafted quite a few guys that have been very effective players for them. So they do know what they're doing sometimes in that regard. That's going to do it for us tonight. We will be back Friday, as I mentioned, for listener questions live. So you can get those to us via email, theobinsider at gmail.com. You can call us 949-542-6241 or text us on that line leading up to it. We'll have a live comment thread on cincyjungle.com, so you can leave that there. Or you can always tweet us at Bengals OBI. 
we'll take them there. And if you tune in live, whether it's Facebook or our YouTube channel, you can leave them in the live chats when we go live on Friday and we will scroll through those and get to as many as we can. We usually try and take about 20 to 30 minutes, 20-ish if we, if we can and get through as many questions as possible. We appreciate the support. Get the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, the Megaphone platform. Get it on CincyJungle.com or our YouTube channel. Also, check out the other podcast that John Moonlights with. Sorry if I spit when I speak with Daddio and Hoji. You can get Orange is the New Black by Ace and Zim. Or you can check out Chalk Talk and his videos on our YouTube channel either on our YouTube channel or the audio slate that is the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you soon. See you, John.